listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons Podcast. You can visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. And today we're wrapping up our series. We've been looking at the book of James in the New Testament for the last oh, 10 weeks. I mean, a long time. And uh, as we get into this passage today, James is really kind of wrapping up like, you know, how do you build authentic community, which seems quite pertinent um, in our day where there's just so much isolation right now. I mean, there's a ton of division as well, um, politically and across families and everyone's sensing that with, uh, with Thanksgiving coming, good gracious. I, I mean, how many conversations have I had and have you had with people about, well, this family, you know, we see this differently and we're divided about who we voted for, or how we view some issue. It's a really hard time. And so it's really a, a perfect, uh, it, it's a perfect topic for today to think about how do you, how do you care well for others and how do you let others care well for you? How do you find the support that you need uh, in seasons like this that are really demanding? Um, and one of our values as a church even is that we're better together. Uh, and better together means we, we actually can't go it alone. Um, you know, I was, <laughs> I was a senior pastor, a solo pastor for a year. And, uh, for those who survived it, um, it was not the best experience for anyone. Let's freely admit that. Um, it's one of the reasons why Brenna Rubio and I are co-pastors. What's the difference between a battleship and a destroyer? Battleships are great ships. Um, <laughs> And that's one of the beauties of City Church, right? That uh, we get to uh, have a few little interruptions here and just be human. But being a co-pastor has been a great gift for me. Um, and Brenna pointed out this passage this week from uh, a woman that we really hold dear. Her name is Rachel Held Evans. And thinking about this whole idea of what it means to be pastors and what it means to be community, she wrote this. Uh, she said, I often wonder if the role of the clergy, that's pastors, in this age is not to dispense information or guard the prestige of their authority, but rather to go first, to volunteer the truth about their sins, their dreams, their failures, and their fears in order to free others to do the same. And that's, that's why we're here. Uh, we're here because we are better together. It's actually why um, Brenda Rubio and I co-pastor, um, in part because of my own failures, um, but also my own dreams. Um, and you know, one of the things I, I, I started back in the day with uh, City Church is asking people to pray for me and for my family and for our church. And so, and some of you are on that, that prayer update. Um, and it's just this weekly thing that I do every week to ask people to say, would you pray for me? Because I need help. And, and just that process of asking for prayer, uh, you know, Katie and I do it on our date night every week. We ask the question, how can I pray for you? And it's just been this wonderful gift, this process of, of admitting, I can't do it alone. 
And so it's just, it's been a joy. And I'm glad that we get to dive into uh, some teaching from scripture about how do we do that even better? So, yeah. I'm really aware as we come into this this morning of how, how much I'm still growing in this area, right? Like that this, in so many ways, this does not come naturally to me to ask people for help. Um, I was, uh, I was thinking about it more this morning and thinking for so many of us, right? It's like, we figure out how we're going to like cope with the world, like when we're super young, right? And we kind of come up with some sort of core strategies. Sometimes we think about them in terms of, you know, the Enneagram or kind of covenants that we make with ourselves or all sorts of different ways we can understand it. But I would definitely say for myself, like one of the strategies that I sort of adopted early on was that I was going to be super independent. Like I was going to fit, people were going to love me because they weren't going to have to take care of me, right? Like I was just always going to take care of myself. And that was like what my, my place and my role in any given family system or community was going to be, right? That I would be lovable if I was just like completely low maintenance. I got it. You know, I, I can do all my own stuff. And clearly this is not like a super adaptive strategy for the world, right? Like there are going to be all sorts of places where that just, that actually doesn't work. And so, so much of my adult life is just continually unlearning that and coming to a place of being able to really admit and admit out loud, you know, that I actually do need help. Like I need other people in my life. Um, so I was thinking of over the summer, you know, in the midst of this whole crazy COVID thing. And I was, I was with a group of women. We were having, you know, kind of a socially distanced, you know, kind of fire pit evening, uh, a group of women pastors uh, that uh, they've become really, really good friends over the years. And so we were getting together and it was just after our school district had um, made the big announcement about school starting online, you know, at the beginning of the year um, and for, for quite a while. And so one of my, my pastor friends started talking about um, just how she had responded to her staff when that came out and the message that she'd sent them. And this friend, uh, she is known for having something of a potty mouth. You know, she's one of those women where it's just like, I love Jesus and I cuss a little or a lot uh, in that case. I'm not going to say exactly what she said because we have little ones on the call. We're going to say it was awful. You know, she just used the word awful. That's what we'll say. And so the message that she sent to all of her staff was, hey, I know that you are stuck on an awful boat in an awful storm in the awfulest year of the awfulest decade ever, and you're freaking out. And um, I want you to know that it's going to be okay. You don't have, you know, you're wondering how you're going to do this working thing and, and schooling your kids thing. And I just want you to know it's going to be okay. You know, we may not be able to pay you a lot, but we can give flexibility and we can give care. And so I'm listening to her sharing that. And I just started crying. Like I'm sitting with my friends and I just started crying. And I was like, I need someone to tell that to me. Like I need somebody to tell me this, you know? And she, she looked at me and said, okay, Brenna, here you go. And so I'm going to tell you that, you know, because I don't have a boss, right? Or at the time I did it. Now, at the time I'm telling you the story, we have a board now and, and the board has actually echoed all of this too, that this whole idea that it's okay to not be okay, that 
we've been kind of telling each other through this COVID thing, like we actually need other people to tell us that, right? And I needed my friend in that moment to look at me. I needed another person to tell my type one perfectionist, think I have to have it all together self. It's okay. You too are stuck on this awful boat and there's grace for you and there's care and there's compassion. So this morning, I don't know what you need, what you need to hear this morning, but I am confident there is something. There is something your heart desperately needs, and there may even be something that your heart has to give. And so that's kind of the journey of this morning to say, what are those things? Would you come along with us as we try to unpack what God might have for us here? So our friend Erica Hopkins is going to read our final passage in the book of James for us this morning. So Erica, take it away when you're ready. Thanks, Brenna. Good morning, everyone. Uh, James 5, 13 through 20. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My siblings, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Erica. Appreciate that. So one of the things you may notice in this passage is it, it starts out with sort of a, a element of personal responsibility. What it actually reminds me of is sometimes at City Church, we talk about the triangle. Let's see if I can do this. The triangle, this idea that there are different movements, different directions uh, that the spiritual life takes and should take if it's going to be healthy, if it's going to be full bodied, uh, have all the parts of it that, that is needed to, to have. And so the passage really starts out with the sense of the up connection for any given person. How are they connecting with God? Uh, what does that connection look like? And so we see that uh, in verse 13. I think Kevin's going to put in the chat it says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Here are the things that you're going to do. Part of your spiritual journey is going to be about you and God, just you and God having these, these moments of connection, you know, really um, spending time and, and taking that effort. But it's really not the focus of this particular passage because what it really quickly moves to is this second area of the triangle, what we would sometimes call the in 
of the spiritual life, the inward work that we do amongst our community, the ways that we build relationships and we build connections with others who are close to us, our friends and our family. And there are really two key parts to this inward part of the spiritual life. There's what we have to do for ourselves to cultivate community, to build relationships. And then there are the things that others do for us or that we do for others to build community. So that first piece where it's what we're doing, what we need to do for ourselves, where we take um, some responsibility for creating community. There are two places in the passages where we see that sort of active effort that's being encouraged in verses 14 and 15, which are also gonna go in the chat. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them. Confess your sins to each other. These are things, right, that it's like when we realize that we have need, we need other people, we don't just wait, you know, we don't just kind of hang out by our phones, we don't wait for somebody to text us, somebody to call us, somebody to invite us over for dinner, that we actually have a role in creating the opportunities and saying, hey, hey, friends, this is what I need. This is what I'm going to need if I'm going to if I'm going to thrive, if I'm going to grow, if I'm going to be able to continue on this spiritual journey. Now, I want to talk for a minute, partly because I think it's a trigger word for, for many of us, uh, and partly because I actually think it's just interesting and helpful. I want to talk about this word sin. What does it mean to confess our sins to each other? Um, I could give all sorts of like theological definitions, right? But Many of you, if you grew up in churches, you've heard plenty of theological definitions. I mean, I can pull them up from my childhood Sunday school or when I was part of a missions organization, when I went to seminary, and, and you guys may have times, you know, the scripts that are playing in your mind, what does it mean to sin and to confess your sin? And sometimes it can feel very heavy, those scripts, right? That they come along with feelings of guilt and shame. Here's the quote, the very non-theological, and yet I find so much more helpful quote that came to mind for me when I think, what does it mean to confess sins? And it's a quote from another of my favorite authors, a, name, a woman named uh, Anne Lamott. Some of the rest of you may have read her stuff occasionally too. And she says this, my mind is a dangerous neighborhood I try not to go into alone. My mind is a dangerous neighborhood I try not to go into alone. That resonates for me. You wanna know why I confess my sins? Why I talk with people about the pieces of myself that feel the most tricky, the most confusing, even that come with the most feelings of just shame and embarrassment and oh, I think I screwed up or I don't even know why I do this. I don't know what's going on with me. It's because my mind is a dangerous neighborhood and I need someone to walk with me and to help me navigate it. Help me understand myself better and, and sometimes help me navigate to a better place, right? 
Confessing sins is about bringing other people on the journey with us to become more like Jesus, to become more the people that God actually created us to be in the first place. We need each other in that because so often we do not tell ourselves the truth. We do not tell ourselves the truth. That might be sometimes about not admitting the damage that choices we're making are, are actually the damage that they're actually creating, whether that's to ourselves or to people around us. And, and sometimes we need people to be trustworthy mirrors showing us that with kindness, with grace, but with honesty. Sometimes we're not telling ourselves the truth because we're, we're believing this lie that the ways that we've messed up, the ways that we're not quite there yet, uh, the mistakes that we've made make us unlovable, make us irredeemable, just kind of put us beyond the pale. And we need somebody to actually know about those mistakes, know about those weaknesses and say, yeah, I see it. And I also have hope for you and I have love for you. And you are, you're not on the outside. I don't reject you for that. God doesn't reject you for that. We need people to tell us the truth, to come alongside us with honesty and with grace. And we can do that in all sorts of different ways. You know, there are some of you who are great at just reaching out by the phone, by text, you know, in moments of just, of struggle. Some of you are awesome at that. You know, hey, this happened with my friend or this happened in my workplace. And, you know, would you pray? You might even have like a list of people that you, you send those to. And I love receiving those. I just want you to know that. If that's something that you do, I love receiving it. And I love how it gives me permission to do that as well with others, right? That I know that, oh, you're somebody I could share mine with as well. I will admit to you, I'm not the best at that. I think it's because I'm an introvert. Like my thoughts do not naturally throw out, uh, flow out my thumbs in a text. You know, it just, it doesn't. Um, where I tend to kind of share just the everyday needs uh, most naturally is in the relationships where I just have like a natural rhythm of connection, an intentional rhythm of connection. You know, whether it's good friends that, hey, we have a standing, you know, coffee date once a month or a standing phone call. Um, with some of you, I know you're in groups. I have a, a group in the church that I'm part of regularly. And to have those connections, right, where it's just like, I'm going to share what's going on in my daily life. And I love knowing that I'm going to be prayed for. In fact, one of my most meaningful prayer times recently, uh, I don't know if it was like this for everyone in the group, but you know, there was a small group of women and we were on a Zoom call and uh, it was before the election. And so there was a lot of tension and kind of anxiety in the call. And towards the end, um, everybody just put down in the chat, like a one to two sentence prayer, kind of what they were praying for themselves and for the country as we went into the election. And then we closed by praying the prayer of the person like one, one uh, chat down from us, right? So I got to pray somebody else's prayer and I got to hear my prayer prayed out loud by someone else. And uh, to me, at least it, it just felt so meaningful. I, I needed to hear my prayer prayed by someone else. I needed it 
to not just be my own anymore, but for someone to be carrying it with me. And I think it's really one of the reasons we love to see people get connected into groups here at City Church, right? So that you have those like regular opportunities or, or Wednesday worship, you know, places like that where it's just like a regular opportunity to be with a, a small handful of people. You can say, this is my life. And I, I need you to know about it. I need you to carry it with me, walk with me, pray with me. And then sometimes even those regular rhythms aren't going to be enough. You know that we need those people that we can just, we can pick up the phone um, and just say, wow, today has just exploded. You know, my mind cannot keep up. Um, all of this stuff is happening and, and I can't do it alone. That we can just make those, those big emergency calls and say, I need you. I, I can't be by myself in this space. I had one of those moments recently, you know, where I just, there was a, a leadership kind of thing happening and it, it was not anybody, any of you know, it was a little bit outside of, of this, this context. Um, but uh, I was just in a moment of real self-doubt. And so I have a friend who loves doing Marco Polo. I'm still figuring out the Marco Polo thing. Sometimes I go a week before I remember, I might have messages there to check. Um, but she loves Marco Polo. And so reaching out on Marco Polo to say like, hey, I need to tell, I just have to tell someone about this situation. And I'd been so upset, but I hadn't been able to cry about it yet. And as I was sharing on this like video message, I was leaving her, the tears just started to come, right? Like just sharing that I could finally cry about it. And then as she sent her message back later and I was listening to it, I just felt so heard, right? I felt understood and um, I felt like she was helping me see myself again, you know, just with a kinder perspective. And she was giving me some great questions to think through. And I needed that. We need that, don't we? We need other people. Sometimes we are just sick. And whoever the elders are in our life, those people who we trust, we know they love us. We know they have wisdom. We have to be able to reach out and call. Bill, go for it. Thanks, Brenna. Wow. So good. So good. Um, so, you know, to, to just affirm what Brenna just said is the responsibility for building deep community um, falls on you when you have need. When you have need, the responsibility for building community falls on you to reach out by Marco Polo or text or, you know, whatever it is, and to share, confess your sins, and, you know, in, invite people into your life. What James does right after he says this about how the responsibility rests on us if we have need to go and let other people know that, he then turns it and says, also, the responsibility for building deep community falls on the person who sees the need of someone else. So it's not just, you know, only the needy reach out. We're actually both, we're, we're both responsible to reach towards each other when there's a need. The person who has the need and sees they have it 
they go towards community. And if I'm over here and I see you have a need, James says, go and get them. Go, go that way. And he does it twice again, just like he did the other twice. In 5.16, James 5.16, he says, pray for each other. It's actually not that hard. We may not be very good at it. Um, you know, I bet if I asked for a show of hands, how many people are really good at praying for others? I probably, not a lot of people are going to raise their hand to that. But James is saying, go towards them. One of the things I realized at the, at the old church that I was a part of, uh, I was there for 15 years <clears throat> and, uh, and had so many great experiences there is that there are a bunch of kids that for whatever reason, I just started praying for these kids regularly. Uh, I knew their parents and I liked these kids, whatever. And so I prayed for these kids for like five years. You know, they were like three years old. I prayed for them until they were eight or something like that. And for years and years afterwards, I just realized how much I liked those kids. That what happened was God did something in my heart. I actually built community with these with these kids, um, when you pray for someone, you build a bond. It matters to you. They matter to you. And so what would it look like for you to pray for someone? Maybe someone here in church, maybe a neighbor or a family member, to commit to regularly praying for them. Not well. Don't pray well. Don't commit to praying well for them because <laughs> then you'll feel bad and you won't do it. And you'll, you know what I'm saying? You'll guilt yourself. Like I didn't pray very long. Like, no, 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 just get over that. Pray poorly. Okay. Pray poorly, but pray over time for someone. That's part of how you build community. And then James goes on and he says this, um, this great line, which many of us, those of us who have been part of churches in the past that have been more structured and kind of like, um, I don't know, more straight and narrow kind of churches, um, this will be a, could be a triggering passage um, because of how it's been used, but it's, it's really endearing if, if you listen to it. So this is what he says. This is what James says. If one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back. Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Um, for, for the few of us who are actually on video here, can I see your show of hands? Can anyone imagine how this could, might be misused? <laughs> right? Like, go and tell them you're wrong, do it my way, or you're going to die. Right? I mean, this is sort of how, I mean, pastors like me, we love Bible verses like this. You know, it's just, um, it's kind of embarrassing because we love to control people's lives. But what if James is actually not talking about that? He's talking, what if he's talking about authentic community and initiating towards those who are in a time of need? And this idea of turning a sinner from the error of their ways, like, hmm, 
the desert fathers and mothers lived primarily in, in the Egyptian desert uh, outside of Alexandria uh, in the fifth and sixth centuries. They lived by themselves in caves, and would occasionally gather to celebrate uh, communion or to sing and pray together. And one of the leaders of this early community was a uh, as a man named Abba Poeman. And this is a great line. In some of the, the old writings from the Desert Fathers and Mothers, someone asked, they asked him, how do you deal with a brother who falls asleep during worship? And he replied, I put his head upon my knees and help him to rest. What if this was our vision of correcting those in the error of their ways? What if this was this, this gentle, um, I'm with you. I'm, I'm walking with you, I see you. As opposed to throwing the Bible at them, telling them you, you, know, you, you need to, straighten up or we're going to kick you out. And I think of my own life and I have not always done this very well. But over the years, God, I think, has softened my heart. And I met recently with a, with a man who I love dearly. and We had had a long conversation about whether he was going to leave his wife. Uh, to be with another man's wife. And it was just a really redemptive conversation. Because uh, I could say, well, wh what's going on inside of you that makes you wonder this? You know, you've got some kids and you've made this commitment and you know, what is it? Um, and then for him, it was, it was this moment of not having to hide. That for whatever reason, he felt like this was a safe place. And as he shared, it was a lot about his own insecurities. You know, kind of some of the grass is greener kind of stuff how he wanted more respect and how he was scared. He was scared to do the hard work of making a relationship work and he'd rather leave it than do that hard work. And really the, the wandering that he was experiencing was so much more about wandering from who God had made him to be, to be a strong, man who could actually face challenge, who could have healthy conflict with his wife, who could commit to raising his children. And, and, and he knew this. In some ways he just needed to tell someone. And so many times at City Church, I mean, I had it happen again this week where you know, someone is sort of checking out City Church and, 
and they essentially the, the conversation always goes like this it's like you know i'm not sure i believe everything i used to believe uh in this particular conversation it was very endearing they're like you know i um have this crazy idea that maybe women could preach um like do you think there's anyone else at church at city church like that <laughs> Like, do you think there might be a few people around City Church who've done a little deconstructing? Like, this is what we do. You know, we we ask these questions and go on this journey and the, and bringing someone back from the error of their ways is more about the error of not asking questions. It's more about that than it is the error of asking questions. And to create that safety, that's really who we are as a church. That's, that's our goal. I heard of a conversation recently um, and I wanted to share it with you. And so I invited the two people in that conversation to share a little bit about it, uh, just to regular folks from City Church. Uh, Sam Yu and Brandon Poo, do you guys want to uh, unmute yourselves and say hello to the nice people? Hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. I'm Sam. That's Sam. Uh, <clears throat> so I was... I was talking with Sam, it was a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago or something like that, Sam. And Sam said, wow, I had this great conversation with Brandon. And, and I was thinking about that this week as I was thinking about what does it mean to move into authentic community, to have one person kind of open up their need and have another person move towards them to help them in their sort of wandering. And this conversation came to mind. I didn't know very much about it. So they were over uh, socially distanced in my backyard last night um, and told me more about it. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so fun. So um, tell us a little bit about that conversation, how it started, like you guys meet together. What does that look? Give us just a little bit of context and then tell us a little bit about the conversation. Sure. Um, yeah, so Brandon and I, we've been meeting up uh, once a week for coffee in the mornings. And it's been really good. Uh, been journeying together, just sharing each other's lives. Um, but this particular time um, that we're about to get into, um, one, one question that I ask pretty regularly, regularly to Brandon is, um, how are you and Shelby doing? And um, this particular time, his response- uh, Oh, we gotta get it right. Shelby, wave to the nice people. <laughs> Hello, everyone. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Keep going. I'm sorry. So yeah, Brandon and Shelby, they're great <laughs> boyfriend, girlfriend. Um, I, uh, yeah, I just, I asked, how are you and Shelby doing? Um, you know, just typical, um, you know, question that I ask pretty, it's pretty standard. Brandon's response was, oh yeah, we're fine. We're good. Um, and I don't know, I, I feel like I've got this pretty strong thing in Korean that we call nunchi, uh, which I've learned maybe altruism, altruism is a, uh, good uh, English substitute or a way to de um, define that word. So just keen sense. I just, I can read people. Sometimes I read things, I uh, read into things more than I should, or sometimes read things that are there. Um, but that read, I think that things are there that aren't actually aren't. Um, it's pretty strong. But anyway, so I, I was monitoring Brandon and I just thought, okay, that's a shorter answer than he typically gives. I wonder if there's something beneath that. So I just asked him, I challenged him. 
and said, yeah, tell me, what, so what's, what's fine between you guys? And so uh, Brandon, um, well, I guess he, he kind of went back a little bit and he was like, well, no, 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 we're good, we're good. Um, well, actually, uh, just this last week, um, I was kind of frustrated at Shelby about something. And um, the thing that he was frustrated about was, well, he started a job recently. Um, he was getting more busy there. This particular week, Shelby and her roommates happened to have matching birthdays. It was just like bam, 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 all in a row. And they were struggling um, to find a day to celebrate the birthday. So, you know, they uh, maybe they scheduled, scheduled one event on Wednesday, it didn't happen, and they planned for the next, and it didn't happen. Um, and in Brandon's mind, it was like, hey, like, how many times are you guys going to celebrate your birthday? You know, like, I think maybe once is enough. Um, you know, like your friends and your, your roommates, they're important. But hey, I'm important too. And, you know, if it were me, I think that I would protect this time, you know, like my time that I spend with you, um, especially now that I'm working, I don't get to see you much. So I, I feel like that I might protect that time. And I feel like you aren't. And the fact that you aren't makes me feel like you don't prioritize our relationship or that I don't matter as much to you. So that came out and- um, Hey Sam, let me, can I interrupt you right here? Sure. Was that about right, Brandon? Is that kind of, so you kind of passed over the initial, like, yeah, everything's good, yeah, you know, fine. And then he like pushed on you a little bit and then you started to let a little bit more out, is that right? Uh, that's correct, yeah, Sam's a great listener and he has a great memory. So everything, <laughs> everything he's saying is pretty close to the truth, like very, very accurate. <laughs> how, did, how did you feel about him starting to press in a little bit. I think I do appreciate it sometimes because I believe for me, a lot of times that's not readily, I'm not ready to do that just like automatically. So it may take some initiation on Sam's part towards me. And I think it has taken some of the, like building the foundation of our friendship and being able to know that Sam's a person I could trust. So um, it did take like laying some of the groundwork and then also having Sam like pry a little bit. I think I appreciated that. Gotcha, that's cool. All right, so back to you, Sam. So you pushed a little bit. I just wanted to check in and see how, you know, how we're doing here, but- um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Back to you. Um, yeah, so um, I just, I asked him, okay, man, but, I mean, that's a hard thing. Um, definitely, you know, I am, I am, I totally get how important it is especially when you're used to spending a lot of time together and then all of a sudden you guys get busy and then you're not, um, that that might feel bad. And especially, you know, in this case, when um, there's a narrative that's running in your head that tells you that uh, your relationship, that you're trying to pr uh, prioritize relationship, but then your partner is not, how that would feel unfair and how that can just, um, yeah, just send your mind into a tailspin emotionally and just, you know, start to question the security and the trust in the relationship and how much it matters to the other person and whether all of that is equal. Um, so I just, I, I continued to pry and continued to press and I asked Brandon, like, so what happened? Like you told her that you were frustrated. How did Shelby respond to that? And, he, and then he told me, man, you know, like, well, I was really angry and I showed it. And thankfully um, it mattered to Shelby that I was angry. And so she sat, she listened and she was like, okay, you know what? Yeah, Brandon, yeah, I, I get it. Um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that I, uh, 
made you feel like I don't prioritize a relationship and that's not what I meant to do, but yeah, I'm sorry that, that that's how it played out. So, and I don't want to do that to you, you know, cause I love you and I do care about, I do like my time with you is precious. Nice. So I heard that. Yeah. Uh, let, 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 let's interrupt right here. So, so at this <laughs> point there's some, you know, there's some good resolution and some, you know, and so Brandon, at this point in the game, you've, you've been a little bit vulnerable, right? Sam's been a little bit, he's taking some good initiative. And, uh, and then I, Sam, at that point, you sort of blessed him, right? You said, wow, proud of you. Is that right? Well, both of them. I just felt like uh, I was just so impressed at how they seemed emotionally beyond where I was at when I was their age. All right, there you go. Yeah, so, and Sam blesses him. And then, and this is where the, the story turns. So then what happens next, Brandon? Great question, yeah. Um, so basically we, we had this discussion and then Sam was telling me like he was proud of me or just saying like, oh, that's so cool that um, you and Shelby are so far ahead. like light years ahead of where we or where I was when I was your age and um, although I appreciated it I think part of me didn't want him to feel that way um, to think more of me than I actually was so I didn't want him to like not know like the specific details so I had to I had to break it down a little bit and say like oh wait I do appreciate your encouragement but to be completely honest with you like it wasn't like some uh, very well moderated discussion that we had that Shelby just like understood what I was saying Basically, uh, when we started talking about it, I just started crying and I broke down in tears because I missed her so much. And that, like, that was the catalyst for her to get it. Like, oh, wow, like maybe he does miss me and maybe he does need his quality time with me. But um, I just had to let Sam know like, hey, I'm not like, we're just not far ahead of the game. I just had to turn into a little baby for a second just so mm -hmm. she could see, see where I was at. Such a good moment. So, and Sam, what was your read on this? I saw that and I was just like, bro, you, I just, I, I feel like I met little Brandon today. And that is super precious to me because I uh, just being in therapy, I've uh, come to understand the value of um, people connecting with little Sam. And so the fact that Brandon in this moment had brought and introduced little Brandon to me. Yeah, it went um, it went deep, and I was just I was very thankful, and I felt very connected to him. I felt like that there were like several extra strands of trust around the rope that was connecting the two of us. And so you felt more impressed with him after he was trying to tell you, "Don't be impressed with me. It's only because I broke down crying." Yep, it's funny how that works. Yep, but yes. So Brandon, what's that like to actually come clean, like to actually say, okay, I cried like a baby. So it wasn't like a really mature conversation. And then Sam actually thinks more of you. Like, what do you do with that? How does that do the calculus on that for me? Still not sure. <laughs> I mean, it's good to hear. I think it's, I think it's sweet that um, when you're able to just be transparent and honest, that you're like even more accepted. That's just weird to me, but it's not weird. It's, it's good, but it's just something that's a little foreign. Yeah, great line that when you're transparent and honest, you actually end up getting accepted more. You get healed more. Uh, Shelby, do you have any um, comment from the, from the, from the side? Uh, you don't have to, I just wanna create a little space in case. 
No, that was a good, it was very accurate telling of the story. I appreciate <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how, exactly how it went. It was great. <laughs> Um, well, I just want to thank the two of you and and just just bless you both, right? Uh, Sam trusting your Nunchi, right in that moment, um, and and leaning in, and Brandon um, clarifying a little bit more about the fight and then clarifying more about the resolution, and somehow even now sitting in this moment of like, wow, this is weird that this is this is where the healing is, right? This is strange, particularly for a lot of men. Uh, you know, as, as Jason said in the chat, real men cry. Uh, so really appreciate you guys. I wanna share one quote. I think, um, hey, Kevin, do you have that quote from uh, Elrod? So this is from a thousand years ago, basically, um, where, where this Christian leader writes to his friends and says, here we are you and I, and I hope a third, Christ in our midst. Come now, beloved, open your heart and pour into these friendly ears whatsoever you will, and let us accept gracefully the blessing of this place, time, and leisure. That's what you guys have modeled for us, and that's the imitation of James. You know, one last word of encouragement around this idea of community and how we build it, particularly in this season. Um, you know, we, we can't predict the future necessarily, uh, but for those of us who've been uh, reading the news, kind of following things over the last few days, you know, it is, it is seeming more and more likely, you know, that we may be entering a season of going back uh, into some more restrictions and lockdown uh, that will impact, you know, our ability to get face to face with people. Uh, and I, I've been feeling the weight of that over this last week. Uh, as many of you know, you know, we've been trying to figure out what to do with our friends giving uh, opportunity that we'd, uh, we've been working on with Donna's help and Donna's team over the last few weeks. And, you know, scrambling to figure that out over the last couple of days. We are still doing it today, but in a very careful, even smaller, you know, even smaller groups with even, you know, more kind of caution uh, and care built in as well as online and virtual options. Um, but uh, yeah, but just, does community not happen just because we go into lockdown? And, and there may be pieces and forms of community that may have to look different over the next couple weeks. And we just acknowledge that as we've been acknowledging it over and over and over again in this season. Uh, I saw this, this little meme pop up from Progressive Christianity. It's gonna be thrown up in a slide here in a second that it may be cheesy, but it still felt like a word of encouragement for me and for us, you know, that there may be some things that get canceled over the next few weeks and even months, but there'll be plenty of things that aren't. And so many of these things, praying for the sick, whether that's sick physically, sick at heart, checking on our friends, helping each other, just being the church, being community, these things aren't canceled. 
If anything, because it's challenging, we're going to need to lean in more and more. I just want to let you know, you guys have been doing awesome at that. We're about eight months in and um, man, I'm so glad to be community with all of you. So let's just keep leaning in. I don't think God is calling us to lean back out of community, even if we go you know, into some more strict measures. He's still calling us to lean in, even if it looks a little different.